Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non-monogamy, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Hi everyone, and you're listening to Remodeled. I'm your polyamorous mama, Jessica Levity Daylover, and with me today is personally my polyam content creator icon. I told you I'm gonna fangirl out this whole time. It's Avita Lavita Loca Sawyers. What up, mama? Hello, 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 everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm so grateful to be like actually talking to you. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this. Oh. What an honor. I love that we have this like kind of behind the scenes, like sister love affair happening that nobody knows about, but I just outed us. Um, <laughs> I feel like it's based in like mutual respect and admiration yeah. and, and, and that means the world to me. Um, so I'm gonna give a brief summary of what we're gonna be going over today because you're letting me drive. You're letting me top, and I appreciate that. So, oh, you know, I'm subby, so that's fine with me, okay? <laughs> you go ahead and top, girl. Go ahead. Great. Um, so we're going to start with, I'm going to ask you, like, your childhood, your backstory, like, the background, where you come from. Um, I want to hear about your polyam origin story, how you became a content creator, um, and then we're going to get into your critiques of the polyamory online content creator world, because I just think it needs to be said. And I think your point of view um, is so necessary. Um, yeah. So, but first we start all of our interviews here at Remodeled Love with an identity and privilege check. So why don't you lay out your identity and your privileges so that people listening to this interview know exactly the frame that you're coming from when you speak. Fantastic. Okay, so I'm Abita Labita Loka Sawyers. Um, I am uh, Black, obviously. Um, I am uh, queer, so I am bisexual. Um, I am also socioeconomically disadvantaged. <laughs> so I do not come from money, although I am, uh, I can say that um, I am uh, provided for. My basic needs are provided for, and I do want to have gratitude for that. Um, but I am able-bodied, um, I am cisgender, um, I am a woman, you know, and so there's a, there's a, uh, intersection of marginalization there, um, but like I said, I'm able-bodied, I'm cisgender, um, I am relatively, uh, neurotypical, um, uh, I, I'm sure I have some neurodivergence that's likely undiagnosed, um, but for the most part, it's mild enough, um, that, um, I'm able to function. Um, in society, and so I do have the privileges of, like I said, being able-bodied. Um, I'm a relatively well-educated person, um, even though um, I don't have a degree, um, but um, I have had access to education and knowledge, um, and so I, I feel like that's a, that's a privilege um, that I can highlight. Um, 
And um, and so, yeah. And, and then my, my, while I do have a queer identity, um, it is largely uh, hidden. Um, you know, so unless I make a point to assert, you know, that I am queer um, uh, because I am cisgender and femme presenting, um, it is very easy for someone to not ascribe that to me. And so I don't often sit in the space of experiencing a lot of like personal, um, mm -hmm. like harm or violence, you know, based on my queer identity. Um, but, um, and it, but it does occur, um, but it's not to the extent that um, some other more marginalized queer people uh, would experience. And I did want to acknowledge that because I feel like sometimes um, femme bisexual women don't really acknowledge that. So, um, but it is absolutely real. Um, and so, and so, yeah, so that is my, my, my privilege check. <laughs> Thank you. Would you mind if you don't want to say your age, at least saying the generation that you identify with? Because oh, I, I think that plays a role. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm 39 years old, born in 1982. <laughs> and, um, my pronouns are also she, her. So I wanted to say that as well. My pronouns are she, her, but I'm comfortable with they, them pronouns as well as an attempt to, you know, uh, de-gender, um, uh, language. I love that. Um, and so, because we have so many of your fans joining, I'm going to do a quick check-in as well. Um, anyone who follows my podcast has heard this a million times, but I'm Jessica, pronouns she, her, cis woman, white, um, come from money, but currently I'm considered lower class enough that we're on government aid. Like, <laughs> I'll put that out there. Um, but I'm never at fear of being on the street because of my family. And I think that plays a huge role in the risks that I can take in this world. Um, I'm queer, but I present in a heterosexual legal marriage, um, which affords me a ton of privileges. Um, a mother of two, um, age three and seven months and um, non-disabled, recently discovering neurodivergent, like highly undiagnosed um, for most of my life. And yeah, um, also very femme presenting as well. And so I walk, I walk through this life with a shitload of privilege that I am attempting to use to dismantle this fuckery that we live in. Um, okay, so that said, let's get to it. Um, I, this podcast came to be because I'm a huge fangirl of yours, and I tell you all the time that I think that you're writing the New Testament of polyamory. Um, the content that you're putting out there is tearing down so many of the walls that, like, first wave, second wave, and even third wave polyamorous people are putting out there, um, and I love that about you. We're going to get to that later. Right now, I want to hear your backstory, like your childhood, because I recently found out you come from purity culture. Didn't know that. I saw some posts recently that you had where you shared that you've done like a 180 in your stance on a lot of your ethics, and I want to hear about that as much as you're willing to tell, so I'm handing it over. Um, so I, uh, am originally from Jersey City, New Jersey, which is where I currently reside. Um, and, uh, I grew up, um, in a traditional kind of black family. Um, you know, went to church on Sundays, grandma on a deaconess board, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, um, I went to Catholic school, um, for most of my, uh, the bulk of my, um, uh, elementary school education. Um, but there were a lot of things around conventional ways of relating that, um, just never clicked for me. It's most specifically around like sexual shame, you know, like I just did not see why, um, we, we carried so much like shame and restriction around sex. You know, I was always a very sexual creature. 
um, uh, even at a very young age. And so I just didn't, I didn't understand a lot of the social mores around um, sex and sexuality and even um, some of the social mores around like male and female relationships. Um, you know, why it was taboo for to ask a man on a date or, you know, like all of these things, like they just didn't make sense to me. Um, and um, uh, I had a queer mom. So, um, so I did, uh, was able to kind of have that. It's awesome. It's an amazing thing to have a queer mom. So my mom is queer. I mean, she came out when I was about 14. Um, and, uh, and so I've known since I was pretty young that I was some kind of queer, uh, but just didn't have the opportunity to really explore that. Um, and I uh, joined the military when I was 17. So I was in the Navy. Um, the Navy is what brought me out to California. Um, and when I got to California, uh, I started going to church with some of my uh, uh, sailors on the ship. Um, and the church that I went to was extremely fundamental. It was a fundamental, uh, like, non-denominational Christian church. I always tell people it's a borderline cult. <laughs> there are a lot of people that would say it was a cult, but it was a borderline cult. And so it's really funny because when I tell people about it, they're just like, whoa, because I was like, knocking on your door at seven, you know, on Saturday mornings, telling people about Jesus, like street preaching outside of Walmart, like you're going to go to hell. The rapture is coming. Like it was serious. Like, <laughs> like it was for real. Like it was serious. I didn't go to the movies. I didn't have a TV for like 10 years. I didn't listen to secular music. So there's like this huge chunk of like pop culture that I like don't know anything about because I did, I didn't have any exposure to it. I, I, you know, I just went to church all the time. Um, that's where I met my husband. Um, and so we met at that church. Um, and um, we left, um, I'm not sure what, around what year it was. I wanna say around like 2010, 2011, um, we left. We met in 2000, we got married in 2004. We left the church, I think in like 2010, 2011. We kind of, you know, floated around for a little bit. Um, and then um, my son, got diagnosed with uh, uh, brain cancer when he was six. Um, and at that time, uh, one of the things that also happened during that time is I tabled my queerness because, you know, in that particular uh, uh, church, uh, being queer was a sin. Um, and so it never really went away, you know? Um, but I just was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. And so I kind of stuffed it down, uh, but it never really went anywhere. Um, and so when we left the church, um, uh, like that began to come back for me. So really like one of the reasons why I'm here where I am today was an exploration of my uh, queer identity. Um, and I actually did a, 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 an event called The New Narrative where I like mapped out my like queer like discovery and my like queer development. And it was like a 16 year process when I actually like wrote it out and wrote it down. It's like a 16 year process. So. Anyways, fast forward to 2012, my son gets diagnosed with medulloblastoma. Um, and so now we're in this like really crappy time in our family and uh, life is super, super heavy. Um, I'm struggling through my queer identity. Like I'm like watching the L word in secret because in my husband's mind, it was still a sin. And so like literally he like changed the Netflix password so that I couldn't access the show because he found out that I was watching it. and. And, um, and I was like reading all these like lesbian like novels that I could find at the, at the, um, at the uh, library. And I even like, you know, I was like reaching out to like people on like Craigslist. There were all these women on Craigslist at the time that we were all in the same predicament. You know, we had these queer identities that we had never really developed. And we were all in relationships, monogamous relationships with men. 
Um, and so we would kind of like, you know, message each other and, you know, and say, hey, can you get together? You know, and it was very secret. And, you know, we both had something to lose because, you know, we all had partners. And, and so I would do stuff like that. And, um, and uh, so we, we decided to like kind of have a little fun. So I wanted to like develop my, like, you know, I kind of wanted to explore my queer identity. Um, and like, like I said, life is just super grim, you know, because we're dealing with a pediatric cancer. Um, and so we were like, fuck it, we're just gonna have some fun, you know? So the first thing that we did was we went to a strip club together on Valentine's Day. I'll never forget it, it was me, my husband and my sister. Okay, we went to a strip club together. And that was like our first like foray into like being a little bit more open. Um, and I remember my husband getting a lap dance and me just not feeling anything, you know? <laughs> like having this expectation that I was gonna be like seething. And I was just like, okay, like, you know, he got a lap dance, it's cool, you know, um, that was it. And then our story is very unique in that, like nobody like sat down with the other person and was like, hey, like I think this is something that we should do, you know? I really am into non-monogamy or whatever, but we just did all these little things. So then like after we went to the strip club, I like saw this thing on Meetup for this um, swinger party. And so we went to the swinger party. And, um, and, and I remember it's so funny because like we had all these rules at the swinger party. Like, you know, we weren't supposed to kiss anybody and you know, he wasn't supposed to give oral sex to anyone. And like, we, we got rid of all of them that same night. They was gone, okay? <laughs> By the time we got to the party, it was gone, you know? You're like, um, about that. Um... Right, well, yeah, like I wasn't, supposed, I wasn't supposed to sleep with any men and he wasn't supposed to kiss anybody and go down on them. And there was this guy there and he was like, yo, like I really wanna hook up with you. And so I kind of went to my husband at the bar and I was like, hey, like I was like, this guy wants to hook up with me, what's up? And he was like, all right, well, if you go do that, you gotta let me do what I wanna do. And I was like, all right, cool. You know what I mean? That was it, you know? See ya. <laughs> right. And so, and so then we start swinging um, and, uh, and that was fun for a while, but it was a lot more challenging for him than it was for me because he's way more, um, I don't know that he would necessarily categorize himself as demisexual. I still feel like he can develop sexual attraction to a person, um, even if he doesn't have an emotional connection to them, but he much, 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 much more prefers to have sex with people that he's emotionally bonded to in a way. Whereas mm -hmm. me, I can literally sleep with somebody. I don't even know your name. Like, you know what I mean? So, and have, okay. That's my dream. You're living my Right. Like, I, can, I, can, I can literally just sleep with somebody. I'm like, I don't know your name. I don't need to know it. And so swinging was very easy for me. Um, but it was a big challenge for him. Um, and so uh, and so we get to a swinger party one day and this woman comes in with her boyfriend and then her husband comes in, you know, later on. And they're all just like hanging out, chopping it up, chilling. And it like blew our minds. Like we were like, whoa, like this is the thing, you know? And it was very appealing to him. It wasn't super appealing to me because at that time, um, my philosophy around these things was sex is just something that you do with your body. Your body's just a shell, you know? So it was very easy for me to conceptualize, you know, him having, you know, a variety of sexual partners because I wanted a variety of sexual partners. And at that time I considered myself more sexually non-monogamous than anything else. Um, I didn't really have any desire to have emotional connections with people. Um, and so the things to me that made you who you were, your, your affection, your regard, your heart, you know, those were things that really made you who you were. And I didn't want to share that, you know, with anybody else. Obviously I see things way differently now, but at that time, you know, that's, that's what made sense to me. So we tried, you know, a, a different version of, of uh, non-monogamy. I'll say we tried maybe being open, you know, 
Um, and so, uh, and we didn't go into it the way the typical, um, like, het presenting couple, you know, with a cisgender heterosexual man and a cisgender bisexual woman, you know, but us trying to find someone for both of us. We were like, yo, we have completely different tastes in women. <laughs> we're like, there is no way that we're going to find someone that we both like. Um, and so, you know, you go on dates with who you want to go on dates with, I go on dates with who I want to go on dates with. And so um, I went on a date uh, for a couple dates, and then he went on a date with someone. And I like lost my shit, but <laughs> I did, I like lost it. I was just like not ready for it. Um, and so we tabled it for about six months. Um, and then um, and then we came back to the conversation because I wanted the opportunity to have romantic relationships with uh, women because up until that point, I'd only had sex uh, with women. And I'm definitely a bi-romantic bisexual. So I'm sexually attracted to women. I'm also romantically attracted to women. So I like having romantic relationships with them as well, or all genders really. But, um, and so, uh, and so we came back to the conversation because I was, I wanted the experience of being able to have a female partner. Um, and lo and behold, we're at a swinger party one day and meet this woman and strike up this triad. <laughs> and um, we weren't looking for it, but it happens. And we were with our partner at that time for about two years. Um, that, she's the subject of the documentary, uh, Polly Love, the one that we're in, um, that was her. Um, and um, that relationship was highly volatile because um, it was all of our first time at the rodeo of actual non-monogamy with feelings, you know, and relationships. And so the way I say it is we always just fucking each other up, <laughs> honestly, um, because nobody knew what they were doing. Um, and then, um, and, and, you know, I almost envy couples that got that chance to like talk about getting into this and like prepare because the way I describe it is it's like, we like were like plunked into like an NBA all-star game. And like, we never even had like one of those little tights, like plastic, like, you know, <laughs> like basketball hoops. That's that a great like, analogy. Right. Yeah. You know, put up in the, in, in a driveway, like, you know, so we were like, you know, having to learn all of this stuff in this like really high um, level, like version of non-monogamy. Um, and so it was really volatile um, and very difficult. And that relationship ended after about two years. And then once that relationship ended, we were just, you know, we were open. Um, and we, you know, were free to pursue partnerships uh, that we wanted to. So uh, we dated who we wanted, um, you know, uh, we didn't have a lot of rules, you know, so we didn't really go into non-monogamy with a whole lot of rules. Um, I think one of the things that I can say most about my husband and I both, you know, um, is that we both like a lot of freedom. Um, and so we didn't do a whole lot of, of like, you know, restricting each other. Like, you know, we had moments where we had little rules here and there, but they never lasted super long um, because we were just like, no, like, you know, we, I like having the max amount of freedom available to me. And so, um, because of that, I, I kind of have to afford the maximum amount of freedom to me. Um, and, um, that was a little bit easier for, um, me than I think it was for him. Uh, not because I restricted him in any way, but because I had a lot of emotions, um, in non-monogamy, um, and a, a lot, it, it triggered a lot of traumas, uh, with me. And, and I, at, at that time, I wasn't where I am today with my own, like, emotional self-regulatory practice. Um, I didn't have a, a lot of self-regulatory tools at that time. And so I did a lot of um, really, really, really just not healthy um, and sort of uh, uh, like I, I literally describe myself as a banshee. Um, and so it's not that I restricted what he did because I didn't, but I didn't give him a whole lot of peace, you know. So and I think that that's yeah. something that happens in non-monogamy a lot. Is people will be like, oh, you can do whatever you want. I'm going to give you the freedom to do it, but I'm not going to give you any peace. 
around what it is that you're doing. Um, and so I, I definitely fell into that category a lot um, in the beginning. Um, and how I got to where I am today is uh, when, I, when I got into non-monogamy, I was like, okay, I am struggling with this. And so I joined a lot of Facebook groups. I joined a lot of polyamory groups, um, you know, went to meetups and all those things like that. And one of the things that I noticed about the community was there was so little talk about the struggles. You know, everybody was just, oh, I'm just feeling compersion all the time. My partner's away for two weeks, you know, having an orgy, and I'm just over here just feeling so wonderful about it, and I'm here with the five kids, and the roof collapsed, but I'm just so happy that he's away, and I'm just like, that is not what I'm going through at all, but you know, <laughs> your girl was struggling. Um, and so I began to talk. I just began to talk about my struggles and be open about that. And I would get messages in my inbox of people being like, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I'm going through it too. And, you know, I didn't really want to say anything, you know, whatever. And so, and so then I started to go, this is necessary. This is needed. And so, and then not only did I talk about, you know, my struggles, but I also began to talk about my process. You know, what are the things that I, I, I began to do internally, the mental reframes that I began to develop in order for me to be at peace. Um, and to move through uh, this transition and to change how I saw things and to change how I conceptualized what was happening and, and uh, you know, got through my feelings and I would just share, you know, I would just share, I would just tell my story. Um, and it began to resonate with people. Um, and uh, when the pandemic hit, and by that time I had done a couple podcasts, like I said, I had done the, the documentary, I had presented at Poly Dallas Millennium, I had presented at Polytopia. Um, and so, um, so I had some you know, kind of notoriety as a, as a speaker about these things. Um, but when the pandemic hit, I was like, let me see. I kind of challenged myself to see for 365 days, I could just do a daily, you know, poly polyamory reminder. And at that time, my Instagram page was my personal Instagram page. So I would post pictures of pies and me at the movies, you know, and that kind of thing. So if you go way down um, in the feed, you can see more about like my actual life, you know, uh, before I became, you know, this person that I am today. Uh, but I kind of started just, you know, shifting my content towards like, you know, just doing tips around non-monogamy. Um, and then it just kind of took off. Um, and, um, and so uh, uh, one of the things that I think uh, my commitment to is, you know, being real, mm -hmm. you know, about what this is actually like. Um, because I feel like we do, not only do we do uh, the polyamorous community a disservice, but I feel like we do the relationship community a disservice as a whole. Um, when we're not honest about what this actually looks like, I think there's a lot of fear for polyamorous people of being honest about what this actually looks like because there is so much demonization of polyamory that you almost want to put its best face forward all the time because we're already receiving so much ire around being polyamorous to begin with. Um, but it really does a disservice to the polyamorous community. And it also does a disservice, I feel like, to the non-monogamous community or the monogamous community um, because, uh, you know, there's plenty of things that are fucked up about monogamy and they still doing it, you know? So why don't we get the space as polyamorous people to be human also? Uh, because we are human beings, you know, you know, working through our love and relationships, same like they are. You just took me on a fucking journey. <laughs> I feel like, I, well, first of all, I'm like more in love with you than I was 24 minutes ago, which I don't know how that was possible. Um, but your story is so raw. I fucking love the way that you show up. Like, and I agree that you are giving, you're creating the realistic content. And I feel like that's what we have in common as well. And whenever people 
compliment me on like, thank you for being so real. I'm like, what other content are y'all consuming out there that's like not real, but then you go looking for it and there's a whole lot of gatekeeping and it's so toxic and like, it's so hard to find an online polyamorous space where you can immerse yourself in the culture to start the deprogramming process for monogamy without it becomes toxic so quickly and it's such a vulnerable place when you're polycurious or you're in the beginning and if you are vulnerable at all and you have one toxic experience in a space it can just set you back like yeah it can. my first time posting in a polyamory group i'll never forget it at the time we were in the triad and um, we had a two bedroom apartment. My children were in one bedroom um, and uh, you know, me and my husband were in the other bedroom and she would stay the night. And so when she would stay the night, um, we only had like a queen bed and so it wasn't large enough for the three of us to um, uh, sleep in. And so what we would do to be equitable is we would rotate. And so uh, he would sleep on the couch and we, she and I would sleep in the bed and then I would sleep on the couch and him and her would sleep in the bed and then she would sleep on the couch and me and him would sleep in the bed, you know, the days that she would stay at the house. And um, one time I went into a polyamory group and I asked, I was like, hey, is it wrong for me to ask my partners if, if when they're sleeping in the bed that if they have sex and I'm not involved that they keep it down, you know? And they, they don't be too loud, you know, because I, I feel rejected or I feel uncomfortable when I feel left out when I'm sleeping on the couch um, and they're in the room and they're having sex and I'm not, you know, I'm not involved and I can hear them. It makes me feel bad. And so is it wrong for me to ask them to keep it down? When I tell you they jumped on me so vehemently that I cried, okay? <laughs> I like bawled crying because they just acted like I was controlling that I was immature, that how dare I ask these people to limit their expression. I mean, it was horrible, 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 horrible. And it's normal for a new person in non-monogamy to have that discomfort. I mean, I am, I've been in non-monogamy for 10 years and I know if I heard my partner in the room sleeping with one of their partners, I'd probably be feeling away. Like, you know what I mean? And usually in that case, when that happens, I remember sometimes when my husband's partner would come over and stay the night, Sometimes I just wouldn't stay in the room because I'd be like, oh, y'all can have a room, I'm fine. I'd make sure I had headphones, you know, because I'm like, you know, I'm going to make sure I have some music to listen to so that way they feel comfortable, they can do what they want to do. And I'm not sitting downstairs vexed, you know, because I'm, I'm hearing what's going on. So, and I've been doing this for 10 years, you know, so um, at that time I was new and I just got jumped on so, so horribly. Um, and so I, I feel like we really just demonize people for having normal human emotions. Um, I also feel like um, people respond to things that people say based on their own traumas around their own polyamorous experience. So like if they had something where a metamor was really hostile to them or like really limited their relationship, you know, they sort of had these caustic reactions to people coming in and asking about these things because it, it, it mirrors a situation that they were on the other side of. Um, that, that was very painful for them. Um, and, uh, and so it, I'm often surprised at the lack of compassion and empathy that I find in those spaces um, around these concepts. And also that we tout how non-monogamy is a space where you can kind of customize your relationships and kind of, you know, like be in relationships that feel most authentic to you. But we do so much of going, you know, that's not right. That's not the right way to do these things or that's not okay. And while I do believe that there is some, there does need to be some critical analysis of some of the behaviors in non-monogamy that show up that harm our community. 
Um, but who am I to say that someone should not have a primary or they shouldn't have a hierarchy? You know what I mean? Who am I to say that? You know what I mean? I know for myself that I don't want to do that or that I don't want to interact in those kinds of relationships. Uh, but I can't say, tell a grown person that you can't conduct your relationships how you wish to conduct your relationships if that person is being honest and upfront with the people that they're interacting with about what that is going to be like for them. So like, there's a lot of things that I'm just like, y'all just be like, like hella, like, like, I, it's like, I feel like we, we, we do some of the same things that people do in monogamy and polyamory, but we like, don't even see it. You know? Yeah, the freaking um, hypocrisy. Yeah, and we ascribe a lot of our personal meanings for things onto other human beings, um, but they're different people and they have different lenses. And so, um, and so, yeah, so sometimes I'm just like, uh, I don't really see it that way, you know? <laughs> like, well, in like, and it took a journey, like, because we are raised in compulsory monogamy. And so some of us have to go on a journey to get to the point where we, then like you said, we need critical analysis. I love that. But that brings me to what I have deemed the Avita Sawyer's philosophy, which is let grown folks do what they want. And so I want you to talk a little bit about that because that's basically the perfect segue because we have so much gatekeeping in the community. And it's like, if you have to have hierarchy, then you're not ready for polyamory. And Avita Sawyer's out here like, no, let grown folks do what they want. If everyone is consenting to a relationship, then who are we? You have non-hierarchical polyamorous folks creating hierarchy simply based on the way I do it is better than the way you do it. Right. Or, you know, the, the subject around kitchen table poly and parallel poly or, you know yeah. what I mean? Or, you know, just there's so many things that we can talk about um, that fall into that category. Um, and for me personally, um, I, I feel like for me, my philosophy is this. I focus on obviously if someone is is perpetuating harm that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. In 100 percent. Like, you know, if someone is behaving in a way that's harmful, in a way that is deceitful, um, in a way that is manipulative, uh, those are things that absolutely need to be addressed. Um, however, my focus is going what do I want from relationships? How do I want to move through non-monogamy? And then let me be very crystal clear about communicating that to the people that I'm interacting with so that I can find other people that I are in alignment with me about how I want to move through this. And if I encounter someone that is not in alignment with me about how I want to move through this, I can have all the opinions in the world that I want to have about it. But at the end of the day, that person is grown. They get the freedom to decide how they wish to show up to be in relationships and be in relationships and how they want relationships to move through their lives. They get to communicate that to other people who also want to decide that for themselves or in agreement with that or in alignment, same like I am. And then they get to go over there and they get to do what they want. So like, you know, I, 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 I don't, um, I, I just got into something on one of my posts the other day because I, I made mention, I, the subject of secondariness came up and someone said something, you know, kind of decrying, you know, secondary status. And I was like, but there are people out there that don't have a problem with being secondary partners. Um, and that they, that doesn't bother them. That's not an issue for them. You know, that's something that they, they, they want. And, um, and they were yeah, like, well, I prefer. feel like if somebody, if somebody wants to be secondary, then they haven't unpacked their own self-worth and this, this, and I was just like, who are you to say that for somebody though? Like, I was like, you know, why do you, why do you get to say that? Because that's what it means for you. I feel like people don't go, you know, let me figure out what these things mean for me, how they feel for me, how I want to engage with them. Um, and then let me let other people make their own choices about what that looks like for them. Um, because I really don't get to say, 
you know, what is best um, for everyone else. There's a book that I read once by, um, by uh, Byron Katie called Loving What Is. It's a really great resource. Uh, but one of the things that she said in this book was she was like, to assume that I know what is best for a person, even if it comes from a place of love, is pure arrogance. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel like I just, that whole thing, I wish I had just been like this. Like, here's right. my you know, go So uh, for me, um, I, I, I'm not trying to figure out what is best for everyone. I'm trying to figure out what's best for me. Oh, um, and, um, and I'm trying to help others, you know, kind of figure out what is best for them. It may not look like, you know, how I want to be in relationship, but I feel like as long as someone is, you know, moving with integrity, that they're being honest, you know, that they are communicating with clarity what their expectations are, um, and that they are uh, entering into relationships with people that are consensual, meaning the people are consenting to the terms that they're being presented, um, then we can feel how we want to feel about it. <laughs> Um, but part of, of allowing people the space to, to work love out for themselves is allowing people the space to work love out for themselves. Mm, that was a whole ass word right there that you just gave. And like, why can't we let people go on a journey? Why are we so resistant to letting people have a character development over the course of their life and go on a journey? And like you said, yes, if things are harmful, then we need to address that. But again, until we live in a utopia where polyamory is presented to me in a healthy way from day one as an option of mine, then my journey out of monogamy is going to be a little crunchy sometimes and I'm going to make mistakes and then I have to take responsibility for those mistakes and I'm somebody who has the consequences of my mistakes have cost me greatly and now I am who I am today and I'm able to educate on those mistakes uh, but people get real touchy when you right, talk I about making say that too. I'm like, if we peel the cupboards back you know on your non-monogamous journey I'm pretty sure we find a lot of you know anyone's non-monogamous journey we probably find a lot of funky stuff you know because all of us are working out monogamy all of us are working out our traumas all of us are working out our attachment issues and, and you know all of those things we're all doing that so I mean who am I to like sit on my like polyamory like high horse um, and, um, and I'm not saying that I've never had time, you know, in, in, in my journey when I did, you know, move from a space of self-righteousness, because I feel like that's even a part of the journey, mm -hmm. uh, you know, learning how to, to have grace, learning how to have compassion and learning how to not, you know, kind of look down your nose at, 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 at other people. Um, because, uh, and I mean, not to use scripture, you know, because I really don't even read the Bible, but one of the things that my mom always says is there before the grace of God go I. You know, so um, so I really try to be mindful of that, especially now as I'm a little older. It's like, how am I responding to when I I see something in non-monogamy that I get I bristle around? Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, instead of me uh, uh, reacting to that, I reflect on why why am I why is that my reaction to it? Why is that my response to it? What is what is happening there? Um, you know, do I need to invalidate this person's uh, uh, perspective, or you know, can I offer them? a different perspective that comes from a place of, of compassion and grace and a remembrance that I too uh, uh, got here from a different place. Mm, that And I love the way that you phrase that of like um, this journey that we're on. And I feel like you are just out here living your polyamorous life, not telling other people how to live their polyamorous life. You're just being this beacon of this is what it means to be a human who is flawed. 
and I make mistakes, but I, you have the quality of showing up for those mistakes. And that's the only thing people need. Um, kind of going, circling back to something you were talking about earlier. I know you do private coaching, peer support, whatever you call it. Um, but we are talking about people come in the space and in, in my coaching space and they're like, is it okay for me to, to want this boundary? And it's like, yeah, you, the, the amount of times in a week that I get paid to tell someone you get to have whatever boundary you want. You get to request it. Everything in relationship is a request. And so you need to decide, you have to self-advocate, right? That's the invita invitation to learn to self-advocate and to learn to know what your wants are outside of your partner. So I'm always giving the exercise of like, can you make a list of what your requests and boundaries are within polyamory without thinking about your other partners. Mm -hmm. And then can you come to the table and say, here are my requests. And then they get to look at that list of requests and go, yeah, I can do one, two, three, four, and five, but I'm not okay with six. And now it's back to you. It's back in your court to go, okay, I think I'm okay with not having number six. And that way everyone's coming to the table with their request. But it's shocking to me that there's so much gatekeeping and polyamory that people are paying me to tell them they're allowed to want things. They're allowed to want to ask their partners not to have sex so loud that they can hear it. Right. And I think it's also important to um, note that another thing that people come to me is, is, is this kind of like, should I be feeling away? You know, should I feel this? Should I feel this? Is it wrong for me to feel this? And I'm like, your feelings are, you feel what you feel. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important that when we are asking for boundaries um, that you can, I tell people, you can ask for whatever you want in a relationship. It don't mean your partner got to agree to it, you know, <laughs> but you can certainly ask for whatever you want to ask for. Um, but also that we are examining why we feel the need to ask for what we, we're asking for. What is behind that? And if is there something that you can, like, because a lot of times we, when we're asking for a thing, it's because that thing that we're asking for is going to meet a, a more base need for us. I have a need to feel safe. I have a need to feel desired. I have a need to feel like you're not going to abandon me. I have a need to feel like, you know, my relationship with you isn't threatened. And so I'm asking you to do this thing because this thing is going to then in turn make me feel like you care about me or just whatever. Um, and if we can hit that base need, you know, if we can get down to that root need of why I'm asking for this thing and what I'm trying to, 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 to give myself by having this other person do this thing. And is there a way that I, this other person can give this to me in a way that still enables them to have their autonomy um, and do the things that they want to do? Um, uh, is, is there something else? Try to see if that's there. If it's not, fine. You know what I mean? If you, mm -hmm. if you come to that examination and at the end of that examination, you still find that you need what you need, then by all means, you know what I mean? You absolutely get to, to make that request and you get to have that need. But I think one of the things that is invaluable to, to, to learn in, in non-monogamy is so much of how we do relationships is impulse. You know, it is, it is what we've been taught. It is Damn. the way we've been socialized. It is what we saw in our homes. It is based on our life experiences. So much of our relationships are impulse. And if we can create space between those impulses to examine them, you know, and to take a look at them and to, 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 to ask ourselves, the way I describe it, um, uh, I make all these little analogies for myself. And uh, the way I describe it is polyamory is like a dance, you know? 
And sometimes you're going along and you're dancing and all of a sudden you listen to the music and you feel like, you, you and you realize that the music isn't matching the dance, you know? So you're like, oh, like, you know, we're, we're doing the tango, but the, you know, but, but hip hop is playing in my head. You know, hip hop is playing in my heart, you know? <laughs> and so then you're like, wait a minute, you know? Why is the music not matching the dance that I'm doing? And that's when you, 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 you begin to, 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 to examine, you know, and you go, what's going on here? Does the dance need to change? Or does the music need to change? Do I need to change mm. the same dance, you know? I and, love um, and so, yeah, and so I feel like, like a lot of what is, is, is helpful in non-monogamy is like I said, examining, taking a critical analysis, examining, getting a pause between our responses to things and going, how much of this is in alignment with what I am doing right now in my relationship, what I believe about relationships, what I believe about my partners, what I believe about myself and who I want to be from this point forward, um, and, and examining those impulses. Um, but you absolutely get to have whatever feeling you want. You get to ask for whatever accommodations you feel like you want. Doesn't mean that your partners may necessarily agree, you know, but you don't go sure get to ask if you want to. So, <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and it's on you to ask. Like, again, all relationships are an invitation to self-advocacy, but polyamory makes it urgent. Mm -hmm. The need to self-advocate is urgent or you will destroy from its self-sabotage from the beginning if you are not willing to self-advocate and willing to hear no. You get to request whatever you want and then your partner has to have self-advocacy to not just say yes if they don't mean yes. It is unloving. It is an unloving behavior to give something that you do not have to give. And if you're a people pleaser and non-monogamy, there's just too many people involved. <laughs> like there's right, many, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. All tangled. Many people involved. And one of the things that I'm focusing on right now, myself personally, um, in my uh, relationship space is, is making sure that I'm in relationships to where the, if the decision, the decision is not, in order to not be in conflict with you, I'm going to be in conflict with myself. Mm. So if I am going to, and, and if I'm going to not be in conflict with you, then I'm going to be in conflict with myself, then I'm going to be in conflict with you. I, I want to be in relationships where not being in conflict with you doesn't mean being in conflict with myself. You know, me saying yes to you doesn't mean me saying no to myself. Being in relationships where I can care about your emotions and I can care about mine at the same time. And it's not a choice. You know, I'm not doing an either or. You know, it's like a, it's a, like I'm choosing me. I want to be in a relationship where I can choose you and choose me at the same time. And that's important. I am telling you that you are this. I know I'm trying not to pedestal you because I know that's very dangerous behavior. And I know that you're humble enough to not allow yourself to be pedestal. But I am telling you, your voice is the single most important voice that I think the polyamorous community needs right now. And what you were talking about, like what your page does is invite people to critical analysis. It gives them permission to exist as they are. It gives them permission to make mistakes. It gives them permission to grow and change and not be who they said they were yesterday. And it gives them permission to examine all those things. Um, I feel like my page is, um, you know, so the, there's hardware and software as we're navigating the space, right? Your, your nervous system is your hardware. That's going to be your inner child work, your trauma responses, your attachment styles. I don't do any of that. Um, my page is the software. I'm trying to create content that simply by viewing it, you are going to start changing the the program. Like our little brains were programmed for monogamy. That computer file is going to delete. 
and at least an invitation to an expanded narrative, not just polyamory, but an expanded narrative um, that says that there is more than one way to love. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm working on the software and you're working on, God, just something, it's like all encompassing. And so I'm just, I'm, we're getting comments right now um, that are really lovely. I don't know if we can see the same comments. No, I can uh, see them as they come up at the bottom. So um, I just don't all, know if they're I, the I see some wonderful, same. wonderful comments, and I super appreciate them um, uh, because, yeah, um, it does make it worthwhile. Um, and really, why I started doing what I was doing is because I was having such a hard time. You know, I really was. I was struggling, and I and and it was hard for me because I really wanted to do this. And I never had this, like, you know, how sometimes people struggle, and they're like, well, maybe I'm just really bad at this, and I don't want to do this. And, you know, and it was, it was so hard for me, because I was like, I'm struggling so hard and do this. But I knew that I really wanted to do this, and I really wanted to live this way. And so part of my sharing was just going, if I could just help one person feel less isolated, feel less alone, you know, uh, uh, get to okay quicker, um, that would be really helpful for me. Um, and, um, and so that was kind of why, you know, I began to just be super open about, you know, what it was that I was going through, uh, because it, I was, you know, I was like, these feelings, they're so visceral because they really do. They, they, they ping upon these deep, 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 deep wounds that we have around, um, uh, uh motherhood and I mean, not motherhood, someone said mother. And that's why I saw, but these deep wounds around love and desirability and worthiness. I mean, these really, really, really deep wounds. Um, and, um, and so I was like, man, if I could just help one person, you know, not feel this or one person move through their emotions faster, one person feel less alone, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, that would, you know, it would, it would fill my heart. Um, and, uh, and I literally have had people say things to me like, you know, your reading your content was the first time that I breathed normally in days. Um, and, and it made it, it like, it, I, I love hearing that so much um, because I, I had days like that where I, I couldn't breathe. You know, and uh, I'm at work and I couldn't even work, you know, because yeah. I was so, you know, so, so, so activated, you know, I was so activated um, uh, by these attachment traumas and my triggers and all these things. I was so activated. And so I was like, man, if I could just help one person just take a deep breath um, and feel a little bit more normal, um, that would be that, that, you know, that, that makes it worthwhile. And so, um, and so I'm really happy to uh, be the voice that I am um, in the community. Um, and not to, 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 to discount any other, because I feel like everybody is just speaking from where their vantage point is. So for some people, for them, it's meaningful to not sit in these other portions of, of, of non-monogamy, because that's, that's what they need to do. I think we're, we're, we create content from a space of what we feel like we need to do and what's valuable for us to move through and process it. Um, and, um, and so, and, and there, there has to be a variety of voice uh, because mm -hmm. it's not a monolith. You know, we're, there's no one, one, one frame of thought. There's no one mode of being. There's no one uh, uh, a perspective around non-monogamy. You know, there should be variety uh, because uh, <laughs> there needs to be multiple voices for people to resonate. There are people that don't resonate with my content. There are people that say, you know, my content is sad and you seem like you don't enjoy it and you always talking about struggles and dang, if it's that hard for you, why you do it, you know? And they get to feel that way. You know, they absolutely do get to feel that way. I'm not the voice for them. I'm not. Yeah. And I don't need to be the voice for everybody. 
Yeah, um, I appreciate I appreciate you saying that because um, it's just such a good reminder that we're all we're I'm getting the image of like a baseball team and like not everyone can pitch. Some people got to play center field. Um, you know, there's a room for the just funny memes and the the silly sketches um, and the just here's a glossary of terms and practical things that you need to know. Like we need to approach because we are on the front line and that shocks me every day when I'm reminded of that like we meaning the current major polyam content creator accounts like we're on the front line and I forget sometimes that 99% of the world is looking at us like what are they doing what have they figured out because we've been in it for so long mm -hmm. and now especially being in the online community I forget that not everyone is walking where I'm walking now but nine years ago when I started this path we didn't know anybody it was fucking dark. We called that the dark ages. For a whole year, we felt like we were crazy. Something was wrong with us. Nobody like knew what we were doing. And so now I feel like we are creating um, a space for people to not have the experience that we ourselves had, like you said. And I think it's super important per generation as well. And that's why I asked you that at the beginning, because Gen Z comes out here just like, all right, this is polyamory. And I'm like, I'm so happy for you guys that you got to be polyamorous in high school. I cannot even fathom. But some of us spent 20 plus years in monogamy before we even knew there was another option. And our journey is so different right. than, than the younger generations. And so we all have a role to play and it's never too late to be polycurious either. Um, and I think that's the thing too, is people were like, oh, I missed my window. These young kids have it figured out. And it's like, no, it's never too late to expand. Yeah. And there's, there's something to be said for life experience. You know, there's something to be said for, uh, uh, you know, talking about non-monogamy from the space of being older, you know, from the space of, of having, um, children of, uh, you know, being married, like, you know, there, there's so many versions, you know, of experience. Um, and uh, no one is more important um, than the other one. No one is more right um, than the other one. No one, no one has more, more of it like on the map, you know, as the other ones do, like they all, they all have room. They all, you know, they all, there, there's room for, for so much uh, thought. There really is. There's room for so much thought. There's room for so much way of being. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, myself personally, I just try to focus on what do I want my voice to, to what do I want to say about my voice in the community? Well, you know, how am I being authentic to who I am in this? Because um, I think sometimes, um, especially in the world of content creation, you're trying to keep up, you know, you want to remain relevant, all of these things like that. And sometimes we can abdicate our voice um, because we're trying to, 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 you know, we're trying to, 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 like I said, you know, kind of keep up with the Joneses and, and, and keep up with the relevance of what's going on. Um, and I, to me, I just kind of feel like as long as I'm being true to number one, what I can speak to, you know, so I'm not speaking about stuff I don't know nothing about, you know what I mean? Or things that I can't talk to. I, I speak about, you know, my experience and what I can speak to, and I'm being true to my voice and what I want to see in the community. Um, then, you know, then that'll always be valuable. That'll always be relevant. Mm, I and thank you for saying that it's it's such a reminder as an artist to to just like um, it's hard especially when you are growing in a space that we know is addictive that science is showing us is addictive like just these apps alone like I really have to watch myself am, am I here to be truthful or am I here to get likes 
Uh, and, and so that's been definitely a challenge for me. Um, and definitely when I get critiqued, um, when your stuff gets big, people come for you. And it's just like to deep down one day, I hope to create a sketch that is so funny, not a single person gets offended by, and that's just never going to happen. Like that's not the reality, <laughs> but I'm out here still trying to do it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I am, uh, uh, so I have a thing that I, I, I say about this, um, and I'm like, if you ain't fucking me, feeding me, or financing me, your opinion don't matter, okay? <laughs> um, and it really has been a godsend, um, because um, uh, uh, so many, you know, the larger you get, the more ire you draw. Um, and, uh, and people will have things to say, or, you know, I get different times where, you know, people will say something about something, you know, that I said, or they have this expectation that every single solitary thing that I say, they're supposed to vibe with all the time as if I make my content specifically for them. Um, and, uh, and so sometimes some of the things that people come at me with, I'm just like, uh, so, you know, you don't have to agree with everything I say. You got to like everything that I said, like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I don't wake up in the morning thinking about you when I make this stuff. Um, uh, but I am fortunate enough that, um, I, am the queen of, I said what I said. Um, I am the, uh, the queen of, of going, I, I really don't have to explain nothing. If you, if you, if you ain't picking up what I'm putting down or oh, well, like, you know what I mean? Like if it, if it resonated with you, great. And if it didn't, you want to take that to the Lord in prayer. Um, you know, so I'm very, very good about, you know, being very, you know, staunch in that regard. Um, but you know, it can get you down sometimes and it can get to you sometimes because you're just like, okay, especially when like, this is a labor of love for you, you know? which this very much is. And for a lot of us, I think people don't really realize we don't have to do this. Okay. <laughs> literally, literally. Literally. Like, I don't have to do this. Okay. I got and kids. You know what I mean? Like, I ain't got to do none of this. Like, you know, and like, I'm this a whole ass person. Like, I'm right. a whole ass person. Like, guess what? I have a cycle and I get moody one time of the month. Like, and my shit's gonna go on that journey with me. I do not owe you some kind of consistency. I don't have customer service. <laughs> right, I don't have to do this. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have to always have the right response. I don't owe you a debate. Like, you know what I mean? If you, you know, yeah. I don't have to explain things to you if I don't want to. Like, you know, or sometimes another thing that, I, that gets a little frustrating for me sometimes is um, I will pay, post something and then people will go, well, what if, what if that doesn't work? And like, sometimes I'm like, you know, my content is to invite you to think, but I'm not supposed to come up with every single solitary answer for you. Like, that's not my job. You know, I can't do that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm over here. I, I have my own life circumstances that I'm trying to get answers for as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, my, I, I'm trying to get people to think to turn your, your, like you said, that critical analysis online, but you are supposed to come up with your own answers, you know, um, at some point. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, develop your own voice. Um, and so, or sometimes people will say, I really wish you would talk about this. I really wish you would say this. I really wish you say that. And I'm like, you know, uh, uh, Instagram platforms are free, boo. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know, if there's something you want to see said, you can say it, hunty. You absolutely can. So, um, and so, yeah, um, and, I, and then I don't want this to come off as, as like a complaint about, you know, what I do, because I absolutely love my followers, I love my community, and I love being in service to you. Um, uh, but I, I, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm still a human being, you know, I wake up irritated sometimes too. I have times when life is challenging for me. I have times when, you know, I get, uh, 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 you know, hurt 
or, you know, like activated or sensitive because I told this super vulnerable story about something that came from my life. And this was me sharing, you know, because I felt like it would help with someone and someone will say something that, that will trigger me. You know, it does happen. I'm a human being, you know, and I think with, especially with the internet, we sort of forget that there are humans behind these accounts. Yeah. There are yeah. humans behind these screens. There are humans behind these, these memes and this content. You know, there's a human being, there's a flesh and blood human being uh, behind these things. Um, and it's important that, uh, that we, you know, kind of acknowledge that. And like you said, we don't pedestal people, you know, we don't, we don't use another person to be our voice. I don't do this so that I can become your voice. Mm -hmm. I do this to help connect you to your voice. And and think about that uh, metaphor to the journey into polyamory as well. Like, just says you can't live through me on this platform, or I can't be everything to you on this platform. So are your lovers not supposed to be everything to you? You have to learn to be your own voice and find your own answers. I cannot figure it all out for you. Um, okay, so... I, we're gonna, this was a great first date. We're gonna have to have a second date because I have a whole other avenue we didn't get down because you brought up Byron Katie and I have been dying to ask you what your background is because um, we have such a similar approach to personal advocacy, personal responsibility. And so I'm like, I wonder if we have the same background. Byron Katie was massively um, influential to me uh, with shadow work and stuff. So we're gonna have to leave them wanting more, but before we go, is there anything you want to plug? I know you have live events coming up relevant to where you are geographically. Are you taking peer support clients? Like, how can we support you? So I am taking peer support clients. Um, the best way to do that is to just uh, DM me um, for rates. Um, that's how I schedule. Um, I have a uh, I have a couple podcasts that are coming out really uh, soon, and I'll be putting in the plugs for that. I did one called Thank You Divorce, because for those that don't know, I'm currently separating from my partner right now, uh, my husband. Um, and so I did one called Thank You Divorce. I did another podcast called The Just Breakup Podcast, um, and I did one more. And so those will be coming out, and so I'll be putting in the plugs for that. I'm also going to be doing a workshop uh, soon um, for, I think it's called Passion Classes, and it'll be on uh, metamors, you know, and like how, you know, metamor relationships. And I've never done anything on metamor relationships. I did like one a workshop at um, a Black Poly Pride a couple of years ago, um, and it was actually called Your Metamor Don't Owe You Shit. Um, but, uh, but this one will be a little bit more around like how to navigate metamor relationships, um, you know, how to deal with it. If you don't like your metamor, your metamor doesn't like you, you know, um, those kinds of things. So I'll be doing that. Uh, that'll be coming up soon. Um, and I think that's all that I have in the works right now. So, um, 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 yeah, that's all I have going on right now that I can talk about. So, um, so, but, but yeah, um, and then, you know, my page is Levita Loca 34. Um, if you want to find me, I'm also Levita Loca Sawyers on, um, uh, Facebook. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I'm, I'm around. I'm outside. I'm outside. <laughs> how, how can, how can people tip you right now for the wisdom and talent and experience that you just shared for free 99 right now? Um, so you can, um, I'm on cash app at Levita Loca 35, L-A-V-I-T-A-L-O-C-A 35. And I might even put that in the comments. Um, and then, um, I'm on oh, wait, we can't hear you. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I'm on cash app at Levita Loca 35. Um, and then I'm on Ven Venmo at, um, uh, Avita Dash Sawyers. Uh, and so like I said, I'll put that in the chat just so, uh, 
people can see that. Um, oh, hold on a second, I can't type, but yeah. So that's how you can do that. Um, and then if you go to my page, um, just click uh, on any just post. Just click on any of my posts, and it, it'll stay there on the post. If you appreciate my work, um, you know, you know, send me some coins. I appreciate it because, like I said, this is not. Uh, this is a labor of love, um, and it does not pay a lot. Okay, <laughs> so it really doesn't. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, even if it, you know, it doesn't. It, it for me, it's more about just being able to, uh, like I said, help people not go through the turmoil that I did. Okay. Amen. Um, so I, I don't understand, you know, people like wanting people to struggle with things that they struggled with. Like, you know, that's not, that's not my philosophy. Like, I'm like, nah, like, you know what I mean? If I can pave the way so that someone has a little bit less struggle, um, uh, then, you know, that'll make my struggle and what I went through worthwhile. Mm. Amen. What a perfect note to end on. Um, and if you want to learn more about me, all the things I have to offer, peer support, how you can tip me, just go to remodeledlove.com. You can send me some love there as well. And Avila Sawyers, I love you so much. Thank I you for hanging you out. I love you too. I super appreciate your content. Also, um, you're one of the people that I actually like really pay attention to because I actually don't spend a lot of time on Instagram other than like, you know, making my posts and kind of dipping. Um, but I do pay attention to your content uh, quite, uh, I, and I love your polyamory mama stuff. So I feel like that's a whole thing we could talk about is just being polyam and being a mom, you know, because I have okay. children as well. Um, and so I, and I super appreciate, and I super appreciate that your husband is really on board with you about that content creation. Cause I think that is so vital. Um, my husband, uh, and this is not a dig at him at all, but he was very private. Um, and so a lot of, you know, this stuff that I would do, you know, I kind of did, you know, without him, him, you know, kind of uh, contributing. And so I love that it's something that you and your husband do together, because one of the things that I do feel like is missing a lot in the non-monogamous community is male voices. Um, uh, there aren't a lot of really prominent uh, um, uh, male voices that I know of that are really talking um, about uh, uh, non-monogamy and talking about, you know, the ways in which uh, uh, men you know, um, and masculine identified folks can move through non-monogamy and unpack their, their you know, uh, patriarchy and, 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 and all of those things. Um, so I really appreciate uh, that your husband uh, contributes uh, as well, because uh, I, I really enjoy your content. So you're a voice that I am glad is in the community with me as well. <laughs> Thank you. Every time you comment on a single thing I post, I'm like, I get feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Mama. Um, thanks for hanging out. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thank you. I love this. Yes. And we will talk again soon. All right. Thank you everyone for watching. You're listening Kisses. to Remodeled. Bye. Bye. In love just a little, little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, oh, a little bit every day.